United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Hello, welcome to the Seminary Explores. My name is Nelson Strobert, and today my guest is Dr. Teresa Smallwood, who is the James Franklin Kelly and Hope Eister Kelly Associate Professor of Public Theology at United Lutheran Seminary. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Good afternoon, and thank you so much. Oh, it's good to have you here, but you're here, uh, in, in, in a sense, a traditional program for the Seminary Explorers. That is, we look at the top stories of the ye- each year, and this year, 2022, um, we'd like you to share your thoughts on the top stories in religion for 2023. And uh, when we were preparing uh, or talking about this initially, you'd mentioned something about democracy. Could you share something about that for our listening audience? Absolutely, and I must say that everything that's on my mind is a top story, but certainly without giving it any particular hierarchy, I have been considering the implosion of democracy. And throughout the year, from January to this very moment, I've been concerned about what is happening to democracy. And you may say, well, why is that a religious issue? Yeah, exactly. And it's religious to me because we know that in the formation of this country, in its own inception, there was no divorcing the notion that people who were people of faith had certain limitations. And we can look at the Hobbesian or the Lockean uh, versions of what it would be like as an institutional uh, arrangement for government and know that at some point in time, John Locke put a a signature on what democracy ought to be. And certainly a lot of people can quote DeCockville and a whole lot of others, but the bottom line is there was a need to have a connection to a God concept. And what I'm finding now is that that has been railroaded into a concept of idolatry. And that idolatry has taken us down the road towards an implosion on democracy and a move towards something a whole lot more autocratic. When you say idolatry, could you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. There are all kinds of idolatries. But when the country itself becomes something uh, worshipful, that is idolatrous. And so what we have in America is a convergence of meaning and beliefs and it is a convergence onto the notion of patriotism. So those two things working together change our view from a God who is all in control to people who have assembled a particular belief system around that. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. You give me a lot of food for thought and a listening audience as well. Uh, I'll keep thinking about that even after we close the program. Uh, um, and you, you also talked about, in terms of a top story, um, looking at our Supreme Court in the United States. So, you know, it really is a furtherance of my thought about democracy in general. If we think in terms of a, a sort of way of being, then when you assemble a three-part democracy, right. one that involves the judiciary, 
the executive branch and the legislative branch, they're supposed to be check and balance for each other. What we have now is a composition that moves directly toward a right or a rightist ideal. And the right wing in this country um, has a particular understanding <coughs> of God, but that understanding is devoid of the justice of God. As a result, then, the Supreme Court, as it's currently made up, is leaning toward uh, not giving people rights, but reversing the rights. Oh yeah, I mean that that has become clear over over the year, and and in some sense it has put fear in a majority of people. I'm going to say a majority of our people uh, that so many of the accomplishments that were made are now being reversed to uh, pre World War II, uh, if not before. I share that sentiment, and I will say that people should be fearful if all they are concerned with is how government operates. But they should be uh, capable of rising above that through a transcendent God who really truly is in control. Right. So that even though we call the Supreme Court right. uh, Supreme, yeah, yeah, there's exactly. only one judge that's truly supreme. Right. And I think that is where idolatry has its mark on our society. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, a number of years ago, I think when I was in my early days of graduate school, that uh, when they were taking uh, the most respected positions, uh, uh, prof professional positions, uh, the Supreme Court came out number one. And I think because you know they were devoid of politics, they were they were they were at the um, the rule of law in this country, and. Uh, I don't, and I think the latest, the latest polls say that uh, most people are suspicious of the Supreme Court at this time. And I think that's a well-placed uh, suspicion, because we have changed the very nature of what the Supreme Court does by having justices who are playing to a particular um, political bent. Yeah. So that you know, uh, Justice Ginsburg and a Justice Marshall would never have partaken. Uh, of some of the antis that we see now. And certainly a Justice Thomas stands completely in opposition to those motions that for us uh, throughout the years, and when I say us, I'm speaking primarily of black America, but for mm. us have been uh, ways that we could actually buy into this government. Now what we have is really the threat of being sent back to the cotton field. Ah, yes, yes. That, uh, that's very true. And uh, for blacks and for uh, uh, other people of color and, and in terms of uh, marriages, in terms of gay rights, etc., uh, we, 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 we are in a reversal. And, uh, I, I, and I, I, I think I feel uh, many people are feeling the frustration as to what can be done. And uh, uh, I think the only thing that happens is through the, our election elect, uh, election process in who we elect uh, in government. And, of course, being cognizant of the fact that we have more than just one process of election. So states' rights seems to be being amplified lately. And if you're not paying attention to what's going on in your state legislature, you could be setting yourself up for what could happen in a federal 
process. Exactly, and I think that's what's. I think that's what comes to mind now. That yeah, in terms of what the states do, uh, that I I don't think that was really conscious. A cog- uh, that we were cognizant of that. Yeah. Before, and I think cognizance is a great word because you're right. People have always had an eye toward the federal process, right? But if the states gather together. And so, for instance, if we look at how constitutional amendments get to change or be placed in position, we right now have 36 states out of 50 that are moving toward the right in several communions, several rationalities. Mm -hmm. It could be something like voting rights. It could be something like the capacity for a woman to have agency over her body. Right. But if that many states are this close to making some type of constitutional amendment, then whatever took place in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments could easily be reversed. Exactly. Exactly. It's very, very true. Very true. Um, Which brings us to uh, another topic that that you uh, were thinking about, and that is religious freedom and, and white nationalism. Could you... Put those together for us. Absolutely. Uh, many years ago, uh, Logan was the editor of a, a, a volume of edit, editorials, essays. And the, the volume itself was entitled, What the Negro Wants. And it's so interesting to me that W.E.B. Du Bois um, and several others, you know, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune, yeah, mm-hmm. all contributed to this volume. And everybody was saying... We want the same thing everyone else wants. So the the coinage here, the, the, the sort of language here about religious freedom, we need to say for your audience, uh, didn't necessarily involve black folk. It was an exchange between um, the president, Thomas Jefferson, and the Dansbury Baptist. And they were asking, listen, are you going to do something about our capacity to be free of government's intervention? into the ways in which the faith-based assemblies operate. Mm -hmm. And he says, sure, we're going to put what some might call a Chinese wall, and using uh, air quotes here, around your capacity. Now, fast forward to uh, Obama being elected president and his capacity to be under the tutelage of Reverend Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr. Mm. Did Obama operate in a freedom that allowed him to say, yes, this is my pastor, and I'm not going to be pressed by anyone to say what my faith is? No. Even as a constitutional lawyer, uh, Obama had to denounce his pastor because he didn't have the religious freedom in this country to do just that. Now, on the other hand, you had people on January 6th at the insurrection some marching with a Bible in their hands, and they were in lockstep with folk marching with uh, uh, what you might call the, the synergies of lynching. Yeah, yeah. They had lynch set up yeah. <laughs> with the noose and everything yeah, else. Noose. Uh, so the Bible and the noose marching side by side, going towards the capital of the United States of America, the same one that we ask God to bless every time we do anything of any magnitude. Exactly. And my point is, 
that Christian nationalism, this notion that we are a Christian nation, uh, floods out the capacity for anyone to operate in any other faith. And even that Christian nationalism is idolatrous because what's being worshipped is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Um, and, and, yeah, I, it's interesting to see, and I'm sure there, there are many uh, of our traditional Christians, uh, people we sit next to in church, you know, who participated and and that um, and and or and even those people who uh, have been sworn to uh, uphold our constitution and the and and the rights of this country were there and and that was disheartening. Yes, oh yes. I'm gonna tell you how right you are. At the time, of course, I was uh, still living in Nashville, Tennessee. And do you not know that the governor of Nashville, Tennessee? operated and was a member of a church whose pastor was there at that insurrection. Now oh. that right there is a tie to a certain understanding of Christianity that goes all the way to Christian nationalism and back, back again. And he eventually uh, denounced the fact that, you know, people were there and doing whatever they did, but the reality is he was in the, in the crowd. He was there, yeah. Uh, but is there, what can those of us who are part of traditional denominations, you know, uh, what, is there any power that we have, do you think, to combat uh, this notion of Christian nationalism? Absolutely. And this is why talking to someone of your caliber and with your professional background and your scholarly uh, commitments uh, is so important to me. Christian education is a way that we can change oh. the dynamics. We have certainly in our um, uh, toolkit the capacity to invite people in right. to a discussion, to understanding, to book reading. You know, uh, so many volumes have been written. I think about uh, Christian Cobes Dumais' book on um, uh, what what we might call white nationalism. Is really her. Her ability to look into the dynamics of this, okay, and she calls it a Jesus and John Wayne. And what she's basically okay. saying in that book mm -hmm. is that we have transposed the iconography of Christianity to be this sort of toxic masculinity, that oh. kind of masculinity that will carry a gun, that will put it up on you, and say, if you don't believe what I believe, then you don't belong in this country. You should go back to where you came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's on us in Christian communities, of uh, communities of faith, to be able to do that type of educating and ongoing, continuing education. Yes, and don't get me wrong, the Bible is something people ought to study. But I'm also suggesting there are other very sacred texts that can help our people understand and create a critical thinking arm Right. That can handle complexities of what I believe uh, the demonic spirits are doing. Okay. Well, thank you for that insight. Thank you. Um, I, I hate to push us, but I'm going to move along uh, to a, another top story for you, and that is um, children 
the issue of children in these United States and the world. My heart is broken every time, as I'm sure many of your readers and listeners are uh, broken by the notion that this, this community, this place we live, this nation, as King said, we've done very little. In fact, our commitment has been seriously cheap when it comes to protecting children. And I would say that presently in America, children are probably the poorest that they are in any other nation, country, civilized place in the world. And why is that? Yeah, okay, please explain. That is because we are not concerned about their safety. We allow folks with big guns to walk into their schools, shoot them down. We allow uh, things like pandemics to make social determinants of health become a morbidity issue for children. Think about how many of the so-called essential workers were in some ways absolutely displaced. Can you think of what would happen to a child who has diabetes, perhaps uh, uh, diabetes type two, right. if their family cannot pay the rent and they are rendered homeless? Not only is it a morbidity issue, it is a health determination. And Indeed. our country has done nothing. I think about the work of the Children's Defense Fund. Right. And they've done tremendous, overwhelmingly great work. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we still need new and innovative ways of taking care of our children. I look at the Children's March during the King era. Yes. And think about the strength that the children had to bring about change. Right now in America, drugs are much more influential. Unfortunately, that's, that's so true. And then more importantly, what I find is that in our educational system, we have grown people operating in a particular way to not, take a, not to bring forth education, but to take away. So I look at people's attack on critical race theory, right. people's attack on other ways of knowing. And as you well know, in the religious sector, in scholarly religious uh, knowledges, epistemology is the most important thing. Exactly. Until you have epistemologically established your theology, <laughs> all you have are a set of thoughts. Right. And if we can't even agree that there's a need to be critical about how we deal with race in this country, our children are being left out, which is why I'm very concerned about what happens at the border. I'm concerned about how we deal with immigrants. I'm concerned about a country that will build a wall and snatch kids away from their families. And we saw on January 6th what a wall does. It does nothing. They exactly. climbed the walls and went right on into the Capitol. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, I guess, and, and, and as we, as you talk about the, that issue, uh, you also mentioned health in general. What, what might, else might you say? I might say that health um, really raises the question of climate control. It raises the question of um, sociality, and most definitely it raises the question of economics. Yes. In a country where we allow f big pharma, 
to dictate what people pay for medicines they need to survive. In a country where uh, the capacity for someone to get the medicine they need to survive, we could do a better job. We could do a much better job. I know old people who forego good food in order to have uh, medicines for disease. Exactly. That should not be. Other countries give us many ways to do this and do it well. Mm. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people need to move to Canada, but we could certainly take a play out of their book. Exactly. There is a way to do universal health care that doesn't leave people out. Right. There's no reason why the very common things that make our public life good shouldn't be at the top of our agenda as a community of faith and a community of people. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And we come to your last thoughts, uh, and you centered that on the black community. Say something about what you mean by by generally the black community and then go on from there. Surely. So I'm from a rural agrarian northeastern North Carolina town. And of course, you know, I grew up in a community that showed love, that um, was respectful of one another and supported each other. There were clearly uh, ways in which we had division, but for the most part, we came together. Hmm. What I'm seeing in the world in general is a need for that same ethos. There is a need for African-Americans to join together and be together on the issues that face our community. Now, I've recently moved to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. You are probably the 10th black person I've seen, yet I know they are here. And so the question is, what are the rallying calls? How do we gather? What is it? What voice are we listening to Ah. that allow us to come together, form community, and be in a posture where our needs as a collective, through a collective will, towards a collective end, get met? I have seen, uh, you know, the, the... Readings, of course, give me a lot of insight into the area. Right. But I know that my people are here. Oh, oh, indeed. And so as a result of that, I am concerned that I find my community. Now, I can list for you the ways in which our enemy, our common enemy, has attacked the black community. Mm -hmm. I could talk about police brutality. I could talk about economic injustice. I could talk about reparations. And we could spend the whole day on any of the three. Right. But the reality is, if we can find a way to come together, to have something that gathers us, brings about our common public life, I do believe staying together will make a difference. Wow. That's powerful. So true. Well, I, I can't believe we've come to the end of our time together, but uh, you certainly have given us uh, food for thought as we uh, end the year 2022 and begin the year 2023. Thank you for being here with us and sharing with us. Thank you for having me. My guest today has been Dr. Teresa Smallwood, who is the James 
Franklin Kelly and Hope Eister Kelly, Associate Professor of Public Theology at the United Lutheran Seminary. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.